You know, I saw something posted on Facebook yesterday, and I thought it was funny and true. Um, it was a quote. It said, "Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad." Have you guys heard that before? How many of you knew that tomatoes are a fruit? Just out of curiosity. So you're the smart ones. Okay, <laughs> that's knowledge, um, but. More or less, it doesn't belong in a fruit salad, and so you don't put it in there. That's wisdom. And, you know, there's a significant difference between knowledge and wisdom. Uh, for example, knowledge knows the definition of love, unconditionally, sacrificially, seeking someone else's highest good, expecting nothing in return. That's the definition of love. That's knowledge. But wisdom loves, Right? I mean, knowledge knows how someone is saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But wisdom is the application of that knowledge and you give your life to Christ and you're saved. See, there's a significant difference between wisdom and knowledge. And the reason I bring that up is because we're going to see in tonight's study that Job's counselors, they had a ton of knowledge, but they lacked wisdom. You know, it's one thing to know general truths about God and the way he often deals with men, but it's another thing to tell someone. You know, because we see this sometimes in life, you know, this is, you know, what God's doing to you, buddy. I'm, I'm passing judgment on you right here, right now. This is happening because, you know, you're in sin. And there's some people out there that are just absolute fools and say things like that. We need to be so careful with such statements as a matter of fact, here's the thing that I pray we would be as a church, not a condemning church, but a comforting church. You know, Job was having a really hard time. I mean, he was pretty much number one on Satan's hit list. The devil was after him. Job was going through so much suffering, and rather than just having his friends being there for him, uh, they lacked sympathy. And we see later in Job 16.20 that he even calls them miserable comforters. And that's a tough place to be, you know. We see others in the Bible who were in that position, going through hard times. No one really seemed to be there for them. David couldn't seem to find any comforters either in some of his down times. And so he wrote about it in Psalm 69.20. He said, reproach has broken my heart and I'm full of heaviness. I look for someone to take pity, but there was none and for comforters, but I found none. And, and so, you know, when you're going through hard times, it's hard enough. But when there's no one there for you, it makes it even harder. And so one of the things that we come away with in the book of Job is that we should be there for each other when we're going through hard times. Sometimes we don't have the right words to say. Sometimes we just sit there and we just, we're just there with them, or maybe we eat with them, or maybe we, we give them a hug or whatever. But, you know, just to know in reading the book of Job how sometimes people, they got a lot of knowledge, but they lack wisdom. And so my prayer, because, you know, here's one thing that I know for sure is that we go through hard times because we live in a fallen world we're going to experience things, and sometimes you don't even know what it is, but all you know is that you're down, you're depressed, you're struggling. And what a, what a blessing it would be if we would become a church, if we would be a people that would aspire to be there for each other, to be 
comforters, to be counselors, not condemning, not judgmental, but really catching the vision of how there are so many hurting people and we need to love them. You know, when you go through the difficulties, you know, I'm not sure if you're going to have someone there for you physically with skin on. I, I do pray that we would. But here's one thing, just in case you find yourself in that spot one day, you know, one of the things you'll know is that God will always be there for you. Look up. And as a matter of fact, the book of Job might even be a good place for you to turn to to find comfort from when you go through those struggles. And we're going to see that for many reasons. We see Job had his struggles, and even though he was a godly man, he suffered so much. And, you know, he, he's open about it. You know, he talks about, God, I don't know what's up, where are you at? You know, what kind of God are you that you would allow this to happen to me, I mean, he really just pours out his heart. And for some, that's helpful because you might be able to identify that because with that. Because sometimes you get those feelings, you get those thoughts. And if you think, well, I'm so terrible, well, just understand a godly man like Job had those thoughts. And so you're not alone. I think we find comfort in that. But in the end, the main thing we're going to see is that God accomplishes awesome purposes even through tremendous pain. And that's what we find when you read the book of Job. It's a hard book for me, to be honest with you, to teach, um, so bear with me. But in Job 9, look what we read in verse 1. As we've been hearing the counselors tell Job that you know God blesses the obedient and he, and he punishes the disobedient, that that general principle of life. And so Job says in chapter 9, verse 1, Job answered and said, Truly, I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? You know, Job knew their theology. If you back up just a little bit in chapter 8, verse 20, it says, Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. You know, like if you're a right-on Christian, general principle, man, God's going to bless you. God's going to take care of you. God's going to protect you, general principle, right? And if you're not, if you're an evildoer, then God's going to punish you. That's the general principle of the Bible. Job says, you know, I know that theology. I know the general principle of those things. But then he asks, here's a question. How can a man be righteous before God? You know, sure, God rewards the righteous. But in all reality, who is righteous? If you think about it. And so in verse 3, he says, If one wished to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. I mean, so there you are, you're going through hard times, and you want to debate with God. If I wanted to question or argue, Job says, there's nothing I could say. God would win a thousand debates. Can you imagine? Any of you guys here were on the debate team or something like that? I think they had those in high schools and... You know, imagine debating God. Of course you would never win. We read in verse 4, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and prosper. Or as one translation puts it, God is so wise and so mighty, who has ever challenged him successfully? And of course we all know the answer is no. Look at how wise God is. In verse 5, he removes the mountains and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. 
He shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and it does not rise. He seals off the stars and he alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the the bear, Orion, and Pleiades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out. Yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. You know, Job here, he, he talks about how God is awesome. God can flatten the mountain. He can shake the earth. Have you guys ever been in an earthquake, just out of curiosity? You remember some of the big ones, you know? I mean, who knows what's going to happen next? I mean, he created, he controls, and he commands not only our star, the sun, but all the stars. And we know there are billions of galaxies. Within all those galaxies, there's billions of stars. Not one is missing. God made and maintained every single one of them. And so imagine the wisdom and power necessary to make and maintain the universe, if you can for a second. I have a feeling we're not going to win if we go toe-to-toe with him. That's all Job is saying. You know, here's God sealing the stars, spreading the stars. Isaiah 40, verse 22, it says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, which is interesting. The Bible, before we even knew, said the earth was round. But it says, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and his inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. You know, he mentions the constellations here and And Job, it's interesting, the combination here, because there are some people who believe that God, you know, doesn't really help the suffering because he can't. There are some rabbis out there, there are some theologians out there that don't think God is both all-loving and all-powerful. But one of the things that we know, Job did believe that God was all-powerful. He's the one who made the stars, made the constellations. He's got his hand on this earth. He creates earthquakes. He flattens mountains. I mean, he commands the sun. He can even make it stop, and he did in the book of Joshua. So, you know, the Lord is over all these things. In verse 10, again, he says he does great things, past finding out, yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. I mean, Job is just, you know, acknowledging who God is. His works are innumerable. Think about it. I mean, you ever seen those little gnats and you just, man, what a bug, you know? (laughs) There was a fly in my office earlier today and I I had my little fly swatter and I was trying to get that thing and it just would not stop. So finally I opened the door and I led him to the sanctuary. And no, I'm just joking. <laughs> you know, but the, the works of God are innumerable, right? He himself, Job says, is invisible. I mean, he can pass by near right here and I wouldn't see him. I mean, you know, he, he says some things right here that, that just, man, it, make you, make, it makes you just realize how awesome he is. Look at verse 12, if he takes away... Who can hinder him? I mean, he can, he can, you know, take a life. No one can stop him. Of course, we know that God doesn't play footloose and fancy free with life and death. No one falls to the ground apart from God's will. If a sparrow doesn't fall to the, part, to the ground apart from God's will, no one will. 
And so Job is, is talking about these things, but he's kind of saying it in an interesting way. He's starting to really struggle with what he's going through, right? In verse 13, he says, God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. The allies of the, of the proud, in the Hebrew language, it literally refers to the helpers of Rahab and uh, in the, the name of a, a mythical sea monster in those days that represented chaos in ancient literature. And so what Job is saying is even the chaos, what we might consider to be chaos, is prostrate before him. That's how awesome God is. That's how much he's in control, that all the combined chaos of all creation can't challenge or question him. And then, and then so Job says, and if that's the case with all that, he said, oh, who am I? Who am I? He says in verse 14, how then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. I mean, Job says, what could I say? You know, what would I say? Here's Job. He's lost all his wealth. You think about it. He lost everything. He lost all his health. He was covered in boils from the top of his head to the tips of his toes. I mean, he was, he was just bankrupt. And yet he himself was, he was a right-on believer in the Lord. And, and so, you know, he's going through all this, and he's struggling with it. He's grappling with it. He's talking to God. What could I say? What would I say? Even if I was right-on, Job says, it would still be a matter of mercy. I'd ask mercy from the judge. And, and let's just say that God did answer me. I don't know if you've ever had a prayer where, you answer, where God spoke back to you. You know, I've never had one where I can honestly say I've heard like a loud, audible voice. I have heard him whisper to me a few times, but not necessarily in answer to prayer. But there you are and you're praying. Imagine God says, you know, I hear you. I love you. I'm with you. Imagine if you heard his voice. Job says, even if I heard him reply, I doubt really whether or not he hears me because you want to know why? Because I'm still in the pain that I'm in. That's what he says in verse 17. For he crushes me with a tempest and multiplies my wounds without cause. And that brings up another interesting point. You know, is that how it works, you guys? And I think for us, we have to just step back and make sure that that's not the type of of Christianity that we live. That, that shouldn't be the way we are, we, we are as believers. Like, I'll believe in a God as long as He gives me what I want. I'll believe in a God as long as He answers all my prayers. If He doesn't take the pain away or rearrange the situation, then He doesn't really hear me. See, and, and that's where where a lot of times a lot of people stumble and they fall away and they're no longer walking with the Lord because they go through hard times. And because God didn't answer their prayer according to their will, it's then that they say, well, God doesn't really hear me. You know, the other day I had just an awesome conversation with one of my kids and it was just awesome, man, for 
a long time. And for, for those of you who are older like me, you know, in their 30s already, and you get a little older. <laughs> no, I'm in my 50s now, so my kids are older now. But I tell you what, I cherish conversations with them. I consider it a privilege. I'll stop anything that I'm doing and have a conversation with my kids. You know, where they're it's eye to eye and we're talking and they don't realize it. Well, now they do, but, you know, they don't realize it. But man, I am just eating this up. I am just loving this when my kids talk to me. Well, if that's how it is with me, a fallen man, imagine how it is with you and God. He hears your prayers. He loves it when you talk to him. Psalm 34, verse 15, it says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. You know, the Lord hears. Job right here was struggling with whether or not God hears. And it's understandable he's going through hard times, but, you know, the Lord does hear. It doesn't mean it was easy. Again, look at verse 17. For he crushes me. Does that sound easy to you? He crushes me with a storm or a tempest. He multiplies my wounds. He's not making them better without cause. He will not allow me to even catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. If it's a matter of strength, indeed, he is strong. And if it's of justice, who will appoint my day in court? You know, Job was going through so much. You know the story. You know who was behind it. It was the devil. God didn't author it, but he did allow it, and Satan ran with it. Job was getting crushed in the storm. The wounds weren't getting better. They were only multiplying. The storm was stirring up. The wounds were adding up, and he can barely breathe. Life was nothing but bad and bitter. And he said this right there. He said, basically, if God is trying to show me he's in charge, uh, that he's the one with strength, I got the memo, Lord, I'm okay. And if it's a matter of justice, as a matter of fact, that's what I want. I want my day in court. What have I done to deserve this? And so he's just, you know, he's just sharing his heart. A lot of times we don't want to share our heart with God, and, and yet it's there. You might as well just share it. The imprecatory psalms, Lord, break their teeth. You know, beat them up, Lord. You know, David, that was David, the man after God's own heart. Now, again, you got to be careful because that's Old Testament. We know so much now, more now with the new. But here's the thing. He speaks honestly for a lot of hurting people in the world. They struggle with these things. Verse 20 he says, though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. If I am blameless and I do not know myself, I despise my life. It's all one thing. Therefore, I say, he destroys the blameless and the wicked. If the scourge slays suddenly, he laughs at the plight of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the face of its judges. If it is not he... Well, who else could it be? And so you're, you read stuff like this, and you're like, man, I can't believe it's in the Bible. Now, here's where Job, he really 
he really goes south. You know, he just starts venting. He says some things about God that he probably shouldn't have said, things that weren't true. You know, but you got to, and this is where we have to be so careful as, as, as Christian leaders or parents or, or people who are given some type of oversight. You have to be so careful. You know, you have to be more understanding. What are they going through? Why are they saying what they're saying? Don't just listen to the content. Look deeper. And that's what the Lord did. You know, in one sense, it's understandable that Job is saying these things. Number one, he didn't have a Bible. You know, a lot of people believe this is the first book written out of all the books in the Bible. So he didn't have a Bible full of the revelation that we have. We have a Bible, and we know the love of God because we know the cross. He didn't know that. He didn't have a Bible. He didn't know the lowdown about the showdown that was going on between him and, and, and God and Satan and Job being right in the middle of it. He didn't know that. So number one, he didn't have a Bible. Number two, he really was, from a positional perspective, righteous. You know, and so... You know, being right on with God, being saved, having probably had a personal relationship with God. Think about that, because remember, he would wake up every morning and he would offer sacrifices for his children just in case any of them sinned. I mean, I'm pretty sure that he had a relationship with God, but now in all his suffering, God's silent. Nothing. God's not saying anything. So he doesn't have a Bible. God is silent even though he's righteous from a positional perspective. And then number three, from a practical perspective, he was the most righteous man in the whole wide world. Like Mark. He was like Mark. (laughs) I mean, this guy, think about it, man. I mean, the, the most righteous dude on the whole planet. That was Job. And so he's really struggling with this. And yet, I believe we could even make a good case that he was suffering more than anyone had ever suffered up to that point. So when you understand the pain, you might not, you know, maybe you're not there, but you you can try to sympathize and try to empathize then you can understand some of the, the ways he, he vents. I'm innocent. I'm going through a measurable pain and heartache. It, it, and here he says right here, it doesn't even matter if you're, you're wicked or innocent. It's all the same to God. He destroys the righteous and the wicked. He said, when a plague sweeps through the land, God laughs. That's what he said. The whole world is controlled by the wicked. There's no justice. It's not him. If it's, if it's not God, then, then who is it? I mean, he's really struggling. And since we live in a fallen world with so much suffering, right? There's a lot of suffering going on in this world, right? And so there are some who come to those types of conclusions. Yeah, God, he laughs. course we know it's not true 
You know, we all experience the bad, but it's only because we live in a fallen world. Sin brought suffering. Adam and Eve, their disobedience brings disease and death. But we need to know that God does not laugh. God loves. God weeps. It hurts him so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins. And one day, there'll be no more death, no more disease, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more tears. See, that's the truth. Job didn't know that, so he was doing a lot of complaining and even accusing. He wasn't seeing God properly. And now I'll tell you what, that distorted view of God is what ruins so many. He was saying things that he later would regret. Eventually he's going to see God and he's going to be like, wow, I repent in dust and ashes. I abhor myself. But, you know, at this point he doesn't understand. And, and here's the thing. God didn't approve of the things Job said per se. He, he's later going to rebuke him. But I think when you read between the lines, you'll find that God, he kind of understood. He kind of understood you know, Psalm 103, verse 14, it says, For he knows our frame, and he remembers that we're dust. You know, in God's grace, he didn't take what Job said to heart. And here's the thing. As we live life, and we long to be counselors and helpers, it might be helpful to realize that sometimes in the heat of the moment, have you guys ever been there, especially married couples? Sometimes parents, but have you ever been there realizing that sometimes people say things they don't really mean. Sometimes, right? I mean, we have to learn like God not to take everything to heart, consider the context. You know, that wasn't you know, what they really intended to say. It was an emotional statement. It was an outburst from the flesh. You know, sometimes as a teenager, he might scream something at his parent. I hate you. How many parents have had your kids say that to you? <laughs> you know, um, in most cases, the parent knows better, and they don't take it to heart, right? They don't hold it against their children. And that's what God is doing with Job. And we need to do the same thing with others. By grace, erase it. Understand that's the way it works. Even though sometimes it, it, they keep talking, like Job. Look at verse 25. He says, Now my days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They pass by like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on its prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. I am afraid of all my sufferings. I know that you will not hold me innocent. If I am condemned, why then do I labor in vain? He says, if I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap, you will plunge me into the pit and my own clothes will abhor me. You know what? I don't know, you guys. I don't know how you read all this stuff, but I would rather have someone shoot straight. Tell me what you really think of me. You know, rather than someone coming up and, you know, they're just lying to you. I tell you what, I think God's the same way. 
You know, because then at least you can deal with the issues. Then at least you can know where the relationship really is. Oh, I love you, man, you're so cool. In the back of your mind, you think, I can't stand this guy. Well, let's, let's deal with it. Why can't you stand with me? I mean, stand me. I'll, I'll make you some food or something. We can work this out, man. <laughs> I want to deal with this relationship, you know, and I think it's cool when Christians are like that with God too, let's just pour out our heart to Him. Let's go to God. He's not insecure. But you go to Him. We know what the Bible says, thank God, but this is how we feel sometimes. You know, right here He's saying, it, my life, it's fast and it's furious, and it's not a good fast and furious. It's, it's fleeing away without a glimpse of happiness. You know, he talks about this bird, uh, more than likely a falcon that can travel up to 120 miles an hour. I mean, that's my life. Job was unable to suck sweetness from a single day. There was not a glimpse of joy, not a smile, only one ending blur of suffering. And so he felt like his life was slipping away way too fast. He says in verse 27, and even if he tried to smile, it wouldn't take away the pain he was suffering he felt as if there were, was no way out. You know, the NLT, it translates verse 29, whatever happens, I will be found guilty, so what's the use of trying? And so he was convinced that God, here's the thing, we're getting ready to wrap it up, he was convinced that God was against him. If I try to get my life right, he's probably just going to throw me down into the pit anyways. I mean, he was with that mentality. That even if he was able to clean up his life, God would throw him in the mud. And he was entertaining thoughts that God was against him. Here's the thing. Little did he know that God was actually for him. That God was actually proud of him. That God was actually boasting about him to the devil. Out of all the men on earth, he was the chosen one. Little did he know, even though it couldn't have got any harder, that when people would watch them one day, as they're reading about his life, that there would be no better example of a man who was honest and spiritual before God, even in the midst of suffering, than Job. Little did he know that God still had life for him. You know, Job didn't have the rest of the book, the 42nd chapter, but when you read that chapter, you'll find that God restored him. God gave him twice as much as he had previously, that Job would be healed and that he would live 140 years of life ahead. As a matter of fact, it's interesting, in Job 42, verse 12, it says, And the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. You know, a lot of times we go through trials and we think God isn't there or God's not able or God's forgotten us or God's against us. And He's not. You know, we see that time and time again when we read through the Bible. You know, Job had that misconception that God was against him. So did Jacob, if you remember his story. Jacob, later he was named Israel, but Jacob, his wife died you know, his son Joseph, he thought was dead. His son Simeon was in prison. They were going through a tremendous famine. And so the Bible says in Genesis 42:36, and Jacob their father said to them, 
You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. He said, all these things are against me. That's how he perceived his circumstances. And it, and it may have seemed that way if you take God out of the equation. But once you put God back in the equation, you realize that it was actually all working together for good for them. I mean, you guys know the story. Joseph was sold into slavery, but then eventually he was raised up. He was second in command in the whole wide world, and God would use Joseph to save Israel. See, it was not God against Israel, like he thought. It was God for Israel. But in between, there was probably a good 16 years of suffering. But you see, that's the way it works. You know, later, Joseph himself, he summed it up perfectly in Genesis 50, verse 20. He says, but as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring about, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Thank God the Jews were preserved, because through them we have the scriptures, and through them we have our Savior. And that's the most important thing of all, is that people get saved. And so, in verse 32, he says, For he is not a man, speaking about God as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. So let him take his rod away from me, and do not let dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak and not fear him. He says, But it is not so with me. And in closing, we see how fascinating it is what Job says, how God's not a man, I'm not a God, and there's no mediator between us. And there wasn't a mediator between them then, but now there is, huh? Because Jesus came to this world. God became flesh, John 1.1, John 1.14. God became a man, the Bible says in Philippians 2.8. God the Son became the Son of Man, and in doing so, He became the mediator. 1 Timothy 2.5, there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so, in this, what we have now is someone that we can just run to as our mediator. You see, the good news of the gospel is, in the larger scope of things, that Jesus took our beating, our punishment, the ultimate suffering and death that we deserve, so that he would be our mediator. And check it out again, if you would. Look at verse 33. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on both. Let him take his rod away from me, and do not let dread of him terrify me. And so the punishment um, is taken away from us because Jesus absorbed it for us. And so look at verse 35. Then I would speak and not fear him. See, what God has done in Christ is taken away the punishment, taken away the fear. That is, now we place our faith in Christ, no matter what we go through, we do not have to be afraid 
Why? Because He's with us. Every step of the way, and we don't have to be afraid. The beautiful thing is that we can speak to Him. I love verse 35, then I would speak and, and not fear Him. And I do encourage you guys, take advantage of that. Talk to Him. Isn't this amazing to you? I don't know, do you guys, are you blessed by the fact that you can talk to God at any time? I mean, you know, He's, he's not like us. You call me, um, you're lucky if I answer, man. <laughs> Send me a text first. Let me know it's you, and then I'll answer. No, I'm just joking. I, it's funny, you know, but we're, we're all so busy, and, you know, to really have time to talk to someone, I mean, unless it's, a, you know, a family member. But, you know, the Lord, he's always there. You can talk to him at any time. And it's just amazing to me. You know, when we go through the difficulties, I do encourage you to be like Job Talk to God, pour out your heart, even your struggles, and don't be afraid, man. Place your faith in Christ, what he's done, and you'll find that you can face this fallen world and fallen angels, which are demons and devils, and the fallen body doesn't matter because you have a risen Lord. You know, I I read this uh, the other day, a, a quote I came across. It said, the happiest people don't have the best of everything. They just make the best of everything they have. And I think that's kind of how it works. It's like, Lord, I have you. My life, if I probably you know, designed it or whatever, planned it out, it would be different. But this is what you have for me, and I have you. And Lord, I know that you're going to take all these things Romans 8, 28, and you are going to somehow, some way, someday, work it all together for good. Isn't that cool? It's so cool.